S-A-M-I-R-Y-E. Sammy Rye here with another one of those podcasts with Sammy Rye. And this week, it's all about Mission Impossible, the franchise. We're going to go through all seven films. I just saw part seven of Mission Impossible Dead Wrecking last week with my friends in theaters. We're going to talk about that film, what I thought about that. Um, and also, I'm going to give you a little brief rundown because during the week, I saw all six Mission Impossible films leading up to it. Um, you know, binged them all week, trying to fit them all in. I give you my take on the franchise as a whole, what I liked about some of the films, what I didn't like about them. We also have music of the week, movie of the week. And if you stick around for the end, we have a little short little after show, kind of just touching in on some topics about, you know, working really hard and um, how you got to balance that between being lazy or, you know, stressing yourself when it comes to working hard. So hope you guys enjoyed the episode. It's dedicated to Mission Impossible. Let's go. So let's start at the beginning. I got a chance to see Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning this week. Um, That's Mission Impossible 7. It's the first in a two-part film story. Um, The movie, the next part, comes out hopefully next July. It's July 2024. I definitely recommend going to see it. It's an awesome film. However, I wanted to do the podcast this week about the Mission Impossible franchise and how I do recommend watching all the films. It took me about a week. Um, I tried to get you know at least through one film a day. They're all on Paramount Plus, so they were easy for me to stream either from you know my TV or then when my family wanted to watch something, I could go on my mobile device and put my little Bluetooth headphone in and kind of get through uh you know get through the franchise. And it, it was a great week. Those films are amazing. Um, I recommend them in a similar way that I recommend the Fast and the Furious franchise, where I didn't always watch the Fast and the Furious movies. And I think some people really don't like some of those movies. However, I think if you go sit down and you just try to enjoy yourself and get into what's going on, the Fast and the Furious movies can be very enjoyable. They're just fun movies. They're not meant to be something that you... You know, compare them to the most serious movies out there. They're well aware at this point that they provide a certain kind of ridiculous fun, which is much like, you know, in a similar way, if you watched a Will Ferrell movie or a Jim Carrey movie, um, Ben Stiller, for example, like those comedians, if you think about it, they have some kind of, you know, situations that are just ridiculous and you watch them knowing that it's fun. It's just a funny thing that might happen. And while Fast and the Furious isn't like a comedy, you know, franchise, when it comes to action, they like a certain brand of action that has over-the-top, amazing, spectacle-like things that happen. Um, and it's just, it's just pure fun. Mission Impossible is a franchise that is a bit more serious than that. Um, but there is lots of stunts and gadgets. I mean, it's spies, it's espionage. So if you think that you like that stuff, definitely you probably already know that Mission Impossible is a great franchise. But if you're not sure about it, I also think Mission Impossible does a really good job at creating the story about the main character, Ethan Hunt, and then also the people that he works with, with his friends and stuff throughout the, the franchise. I think there's a really important story that's really starting to crystallize a lot in some of the later films. You really kind of get into you know, what keeps Ethan Hunt going. What is this whole thing about? Um, and there's a lot of story that's there for that character. I feel like, you know, the most comparable franchise is James Bond. And while I can't speak on all the James Bond movies from beginning to end, um, maybe one day I'll do a, you know, a franchise breakdown of that. Um, Mission Impossible is, to me, at this point, is the king of, you know, the spy espionage franchise, you know, genre. I don't know how we, it couldn't be. After seven films, raking in a ton of money. And um, and this most recent entry being just 
everything you would hope modern action films are. You know, Tom Cruise is proven with, you know, Top Gun Maverick and with Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning now that, you know, when all these companies seem to be complaining about comic book movies, directors and stuff complaining about comic book movies and all those things, Tom Cruise is proving that him and his team, at least, can still make, you know, action-packed films to keep you glued to your seats that you want to go see in theaters. I really love how at the beginning of the movie, you know, he shows up. I believe this time it was with the director. And thanks to the audience for coming to the movie theaters. That's a really nice touch. It's really classy. Um, and I, I, I'm really surprised because I had done podcast episodes where I was saying I was ready to see theaters go away. Um, I think theaters are overpriced. I think a lot of times they don't provide the kind of value um, based on what you're spending. And um, it's kind of unfortunate you don't get to go see more movies at the theaters because it's just kind of too pricey, I think, for people to constantly go. Um, it'd be great if there was some other kind of subscription model or something to come up with that was more you know, doable. I think the current things they've tried, it's nice to see that they're trying some of those kind of programs, but I haven't seen anything this, this great. Um, I had a one thing. I had something called Movie Pass once that was good for one person, and they canceled it. I think they brought it back, but there's like some restrictions on it now. But yeah, this is too expensive to go see some movies. Sometimes it just feels like it. Um, I, I I think with Spotify, they've made it so you don't have to steal music anymore. You don't have to feel like you want to torrent music or burn CDs or buy bootlegs for a low price. You get access to all the music every month, and then you end up spend, spending probably 120 dollars or so or more on music every year, but you're, you have access to all the music you ever want. Um, I have the family plan of Spotify, so like everyone has access to it. That's like my family pretty much. Um, but with the, the movie thing, there's nothing that's really like that for the theaters, and it's a shame. I don't know if it has to stay the current way so they can keep making the movies at the price they're making them. But yeah, it's just expensive. But Dead Reckoning, Mission Impossible 7, are worth 100% the, the price of admission. Definitely go see it. Um, and I recommend seeing all the movies, you know, prior to that. So we're going to get into that and talk about all the different movies and, you know, which ones are my favorites and why I like them all, you know, over the, just the course of this episode, right? Let's hop right into it. Mission Impossible 1, the classic. I think Mission Impossible 1 showed signs that it didn't think it was going to be a franchise at the time. And it probably didn't. It was 1996. Um, Ethan Hunt is young in that character, starring Tom Cruise. And there's just so many cool things that would become these iconic things that you always go back to. Um, I, I don't, don't want to spoil it for anybody, but I guess if you're here listening to the Mission Impossible podcast, there might be some some spoilers that are here, right? So if you're interested, I highly recommend going watching it. Pause the episode. Go watch the Mission Impossible franchise. Come back and check the recap you know, next week. Um, but if you have already seen them, you know this is going to be a celebration of which movies you know I thought were great and um, you know why you guys should go rewatch them again, or if you missed any of them like I did, you, you should go back and watch them. Mission Impossible One's a classic. I think it's a classic spy film. Um, it definitely goes against things like James Bond and stuff in the most purest sense. Here, um, Ethan is is you know tasked with trying to take down some kind of secretive covert op going on. Um, the iconic for me, Knocklist. You know when he's trying to steal all these names and passwords and break into Langley. Um, it's just something that. Is this crazy? It's crazy to think about where the franchise is, is arrived at, considering that movie now feels small. It didn't feel small back then. It felt like a big blockbuster. But now it seems like it's such a smaller, more intimate story of what they're trying to do and what they're trying to accomplish in that film. Moving on to Mission Impossible 2. 
I love Mission Impossible 2. It's, it's the first one in this franchise that was directed by like a big-name director, which is John Woo. And um, I thought John Woo did a really good job of just directing the film. It doesn't necessarily feel like a John Woo film. There's like one or two signature moments where you know it's a John Woo film. But besides that, I think he did a great job of just directing a, a standard spy film. There's, when you watch a lot of it, I, doesn't, I don't necessarily remember that he's directing it necessarily, which I think is good. I think he's brought into bring some flair to the project, but also just make it, you know, a Mission Impossible film. Um, I see some people say it's the film they like the least out of the franchise, which I think is ridiculous. A lot of cool action. This has, it's like the most stylized Mission Impossible, where like they maybe, you know, have a lot of more cooler moments, um, like staring into each other's eyes and like, you know, the sun setting or dramatic walking with like wind blowing. There's a little bit of that, but I think it's, it really fits the film. I think the film has... um a lot of cool action scenes in it, a lot of martial arts, a lot of fighting kind of stuff, and there's more so than you had in Mission Impossible 1. So I think that maybe people who saw Mission Impossible 1 probably didn't expect Mission Impossible 2 to be so different. But it definitely looks like Mission Impossible 2 is where it tried to, you know, shake it up a bit and not just be like other standard, you know, spy films. It became more of an action film, I think, in Mission Impossible 2. I think it, I think it's great. Thandie Newton's in that film. I'm a big Thandie Newton fan. Um, I almost forgot that she was in that film. Um, and she's she plays a great role. I think it's definitely a strong role for a female character back in two thousand. Um, where obviously we have a lot more strong female characters being written now. But her character was cool. She's a thief. Um, she's able to do all kinds of things. They kind of get into you know some of the, the female espionage stuff. You know when it comes to like the sex and maturity of that kind of a role which I don't think they kind of talk about in a lot of the films that they, they, they handle that topic. And this is 2000. So I feel like this is kind of, you know, trailblazing in a way for, for that character. I mean, ultimately, the decision she makes and the way that she solves problems, it really shakes up the scenario for Ethan. Where you think, oh, he's just going to have to, you know, figure it all out. Then her character does something and it forces him to have to go a different direction, which is a really fun thing about the Mission Impossible franchise. You think you know where it's going and then something happens and says, oh man, how are you going to fix this now? I think you see that a lot in MI2 and that's that's a theme that continues on obviously throughout the films. Um, MI3 to me is one of my personal favorites. I think story and character needs to have heart. And to me, all the heart from Mission Impossible starts in MI3. Um, the, his, the introduction of a wife character, which I guess they got kind of, kind of away from in the next films because you don't want him like sitting home, retired, you know, all tied down, but his character and his wife and everything he goes and goes through for Mission Impossible 3, I think really more than anything humanized Ethan in a way that simply you don't see from other films. Um, I'm not sure, you know, who, what came first, the chicken or the egg. I know James Bond was less of a womanizer in the more modern reboots of the film. And I wonder, you know, how much of that came from the inspiration for Mission Impossible 3. Because I think that, you know, Ethan Hunt is clearly not someone that's looked at as a womanizer. If anything, he's looked at as a person, I think, who, who loves women or really cares about the women that are in his films. And Mission Impossible 3 is where you see that all start when he has his wife character. Um, and she's great. I thought it was a great role for that actress. And I was really excited to see the actress be in other films. Um, and then when I got into the second half of the franchise, it, it kind of bothered me. Some of the changes they made at first. So we'll take a little break there. That's the first half of the, the Mission Impossible franchise. Then we're going to get into four, five, six. And then finally, we're going to talk about seven. So we'll take a, a quick little break and come back and talk about Mission Impossible 4 Ghost Protocol.
music of the week. So with us doing a Mission Impossible theme episode this week, I wanted to find any kind of like cool, unheard of songs from the Mission Impossible soundtracks. I mean, there's seven movies. There had to be something, right? Um, but no, I didn't find anything noteworthy from the soundtracks. It's all music by composers. Um, so I thought, well, let's do the Mission Impossible theme because the theme itself is iconic, right? Even in people who don't know the Mission Impossible like franchise that way, they probably know that theme song. When that theme song comes on, it means it's time for you to do some kind of like daring, risky thing around your house, right? You might like try to get the bread out of the refrigerator and, and act like you're, um, I don't know if you guys do this kind of stuff, but I act crazy when I listen to music. So why not do the Mission Impossible theme song? Because it's iconic. Um, but to be fair, you have to pick one, right? Because they usually remix it or do like a slightly different version. Um, and there's a lot of them. I mean, there's a theme for Mission Impossible 2 that has kind of like a 90s cool rock theme to it. But the one I'm going to go with is actually called Hit It from Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, which is the newest movie. And that's composed by Lauren Belf. Um, you can look it up on YouTube. I, I'm surprised to see how many people have actually looked it up in the last basically week since it was posted online. So that, that, says, that means it's not just me. There are other people out there who wanted to hear the theme song, right? And this is the newest one. I'm sure the original one on Spotify has probably been listened to millions of times, right? Because that's a great alarm clock to have. If you have Spotify, you can set up an alarm. The Mission Impossible theme is a great alarm for you to have. Um, yeah, and I mean, and we don't usually do theme songs, but I think the Mission Impossible theme song is iconic enough to gain a spot on Music of the Week. So getting into Mission Impossible 4, Ghost Protocol, to me, this is a big bookmark in the franchise because 1 and 2 has this, you know, each of them have their own feel. And then 3 feels like the end of a trilogy, right? So when you get to Mission Impossible 3, it feels like it's over. But it's kind of odd because Mission Impossible 1 is really its own kind of film. Mission Impossible 2 is very different, directed by John Woo, still obviously a part of the timeline. Mission Impossible 3 kind of brings it all together. And then you have this trilogy here of these three distinctively different films. 4, again, is very different than 3. However, the whole franchise seems to now realize when you're watching for, oh, we can be an action franchise. We can hit the same high notes we do. We're kind of going to start getting more into the formula that you expect from any kind of Hollywood franchise. Um, but it does have a small hint of the story laid out uh, specifically in part three. And at first, I was, when watching it, I feel like the one thing where the film stumbles is Ethan is basically single. They come up with a storyline where his wife is not involved anymore. And I loved his wife's character. I loved her so much. And I was heartbroken as soon as the movie started and realized she wasn't going to be in the films anymore. I thought it'd be cool, almost in like a true lies kind of way, if she was going to be in the films moving forward. But she wasn't. Um, or at least she seemed to not be. And again, this is a trick that they start to establish a bit in the films where obviously they do move him into a position where he doesn't have to be at home just being a husband. He's in some new kind of interesting situation. And it does start off fun like that. The whole prison escape scene is very fun. However, I feel like that heart was missing. I feel like the characters seem different because he has kind of a newer team that he's around. Eventually, Ethan gets back to that that, that bond with his friends and you're, you are made aware that there's still some kind of story out there where the wife character does exist, um, still still played by the same actress, but in a very, very small like cameo kind of role. And at the end of four, I was like, oh, okay, this, this is okay. 
But I feel like the whole movie is just getting to that point, just transitioning from what it was into what it's going to be. Um, there's cool action sequences in it, um, and there's a, there's a story for it, but I feel like four to me misses something. And I think it was a bit more of that heart, just really feeling like either the friends being there or that that like you know that desire that he had i guess for his for his wife and trying to you know juggle that they just by just removing it i kind of didn't like the way that they had done that um but that's that was my take on 4 i think that it's you know, my least favorite out of the, all the movies but that's still saying that it's a great movie it's very very enjoyable and definitely worth watching um it's just the one that i felt like when i was going through them all I was like i don't know about this this might have gone on for too long then I saw Mission Impossible 5, Rogue Nation, and it was it, it slapped me right back into my seat. They introduce all kinds of new characters into that film. Um, there's, there's suddenly a, a new dynamic where there's another agent that seems like, oh, okay, Ethan could maybe date this agent. And unlike the problem, the conundrum they have with his wife being a normal person, this agent is deadly. This agent could be someone that could be a person that goes along through all these missions with Ethan. Um, and she also could be a villain. She could be somebody that would kill Ethan maybe if, you know, the situation really goes that direction. And that creates a very interesting dynamic. However, you are aware that his wife is still somehow, his ex-wife or however you look at it, is still out there in the world some way, which creates this kind of dance, I feel like, that starts with Ethan where like he's interested in protecting this new person, the female character, but he's not necessarily in love with the female character. You don't really know which way it's going to go because, you know, he still has his wife in the back of the mind and the franchise doesn't forget that. Mission Impossible Rogue Nation starts, I think, one of the most interesting villain stories in in the whole franchise, giving the MIF um, a true, you know, villain organization to go against with the syndicate. I think it was a really cool idea. They're kind of like an anti-MIF. Their story is very well written. Um, it's a very cool idea on how that organization got created. It reminds me a lot of the most recent Metal Gear Solid, Metal Gear Solid 5. I actually went back and started playing Metal Gear this week after watching Mission Impossible. And strong Rogue Nation vibes. Um, you know, besides obviously the anime inspirations that come into Metal Gear, the rest of the, most of the gameplay um, is very much like what it must have been like for the Syndicate to get created. And you can play Mission Metal Gear 5 as if you're being a good guy like Ethan or if you're starting a bad organization like the Syndicate. Um, so I feel like, you know, those two go hand in hand. Uh, Rogue Nation, definitely one of the biggest, best films in the franchise. Um, I think it slightly gets edged out by Fallout, which is part six. Um, I just feel like five had some a lot of groundwork it had to lay down, a little more explanation. So things kind of like sometimes get a little bit slower. But then in Mission Impossible 6, Mission Impossible Fallout, um, that film is perfection. I feel like there they figured everything out. There's the characters in place. Um, you know, there's um, basically just tension the entire film. Going through, you don't know what the stakes are. There's so many impossible tasks that the character is going to have to deal with. Um, having to deal with the syndicate again. This is, I think, the first time that the franchise really has an ongoing villain. Um, the stakes matter more. You know who this villain is. You know what this villain means to the franchise. Um, and then there's an amazing, amazing sequence where you kind of have to finally deal with the fact that there's these other girls in Ethan's life and that his wife is still somehow out there. And they, they kind of resolve that whole situation. And, you know, and it was, I thought, really, really mattered a whole lot. I, I wish I saw more of the wife throughout the films, 
but it makes 100% sense why she plays the role she plays. You always know she's in the back of Ethan's mind whenever he's doing whatever he's doing. Um, but it does seem like, you know, she's moved on and she has her own life and maybe Ethan should move on um, with the newer character that's, you know, the, the new agent that he's dealing with. And it, it kind of makes sense. It kind of feels okay when you're watching it all. Um, Mission Impossible 6 is, is, is a great addition when it comes to Henry Cavill joining the cast. He plays just a perfect role um, on that team. And, you know, he brings a, a good, you know, anti-Ethan, I guess you would say, to the equation because Ethan's such one serious kind of way. You don't get to see a lot of the military people that are more realistic to like what the military probably is like. And Henry Cavill does a great job of being that cur- that person in that whole scenario. Um, Alec Baldwin's amazing in it. I feel like the cast kind of gets an upgrade in part five. But in part six, you get to see them all doing more things. I believe Angela Bassett represents the CIA. It's just, six is just really the pinnacle, I think, of the franchise. Um, and it really sets it up. So, I mean, that's the first six films. Basically, I just went over there. Definitely think it's worth watching them all in that order. But um, if you can't, you know, Mission Impossible 6 is the one, I think, to watch before you go see Dead Reckoning. So this brings us to Mission Impossible 7, Dead Reckoning. This film, you know, coming into this, besides seeing the other Mission Impossible films, I'm aware that recently Tom Cruise did Mission Impossible Maverick. And in my opinion, Mission Impossible Maverick rivals if not in some areas, beats the other movie that I think is possibly the greatest movie ever, um, which was Marvel Avengers Endgame. Um, I think Endgame is the pinnacle of cinema. I think that you cannot deny that it took, you know, so many years of planning, so many people working together to create a cohesive storyline that stretched across so many films to get to the grand finale of that Endgame is just something that... um. I'm not sure if even Marvel will ever be able to duplicate that kind of achievement again. Um, And I don't think any other company has shown the ability to manage teams across a decade um, of actors and filmmakers to do something and tell a story to that scale ever again. Um, Harry Potter definitely is a franchise where you look at the last Harry Potter film that also was a big, you know, achievement. But um, I think with all the different characters involved and all the different movies and directors and all the stories involved, Endgame was the pinnacle of that. Top Gun Maverick, I feel like, you know, rivals that film in terms of spectacle, has a great story. And why I feel like it maybe deserves a bit of an advantage is because it's just one film. You don't have to watch the first, time, the first Top Gun movie to watch Top Gun Maverick. Um, and Top Gun Maverick has such great stories about people But also, you know, for the year that that movie came out, which is after Endgame, it has visuals um, of things that you've never seen. It's just the kind of movie that, you know, you lock your eyes on that screen and you're like, I've never seen this action that looks this way. Um, High stakes involved. It, um, It had everything that I think a film could ever hope to have. And it was so impressive to me that it was about, you know, fighter jets. It's something that I don't think people, you know, kids, I don't think nowadays walk around with the same kind of ambitions as they did back in the 80s, thinking, oh, it'd be cool like to fly an airplane. You don't see that a lot anymore. Um, so to, that, well, all of those things considered, all the disadvantages Top Gun Maverick had, I feel like it's arguably one of the greatest movies of all time, if not the greatest movie of all time. Um, yeah, and that's after a lot of consideration. 
So the question became to me, well, what happens now? What does Tom Cruise and his team people do next? Can Dead Reckoning, you know, live up to Endgame, live up to Top Gun Maverick? Um, can it live up to Mission Impossible Fallout, which was already a really great film? What would it be like? It's a two-part now, right? That's actually more similar to like Infinity War and Endgame. What's it going to be? Um, and, and I was I was so surprised. Um, but also, you know, I think both of these films need to be seen together because it's it's a long film. It's a lot longer. And the action sequences have a lot more time, it seems. So it feels like the action sequences play out a lot longer. But um, when my friends pointed out, it's almost like they did everything you can do in a film. So there's an elaborate car chase scene. There's an elaborate train sequence. There's an elaborate... Um, I won't get into all the details for everyone who may not have seen it yet, but it feels like all the different sequences that you would see typically in these films, almost like the greatest hits. It was like they sat down and said, we're going to do that scene, but we're going to try to break records when we do that scene. Every single time we do one of those scenes, we want to set a, a brand new standard. Um, and that's impressive. When you're watching it, it does feel longer. Um, but also the action is just, it's almost too much to say. I feel like you definitely need to watch it a second time, right? Um, and we haven't even seen the next film. The story is front and center in this film. Um, they have a, a very interesting story, one I did not you know, picture. And when you look at Thanos and the characters like that that we see in Marvel, those stories always feel like, well, that would be horrifying if that happened, but we know the likelihood of that happening is pretty much non-existent because they're fictional characters. But Mission Impossible's brand of action and storytelling, you're reminded, this seems like it could happen. This is more grounded in reality, at least the problem. And for Dead Reckoning, the story is something that's very current, very relevant to our day and age. And it feels like this could already be happening. This might be something brewing. I hope the IMF is out there trying to stop it. That's kind of the feeling that you get. And I think it takes the, the storytelling to another, another level. Uh, much like, you know, Top Gun Maverick, you know, the things that are at stake in Top Gun Maverick, the personal relationships, um, the, the actual military issue, it's all things that seem real. I think Top Gun Maverick is a big theme about, you know, what is man's place in the military? What is um, with advancing technology? What is, what is the worth of people when you can just replace them with machines? And, um, you know, is there still a need for any of this stuff? You know, does, does a person bring something special that a machine or some other kind of, you know, tool to do a job would do better? And I thought that, um, in my, my opinion, when I watched Top Gun Maverick, it felt like a uh, almost an open letter to Hollywood, kind of asking people, you know, during the pandemic, you know, during the theaters, you know, having their issues closing down, do we still need films? Do we still need actors that aren't franchise, you know, actors? Do we still need films or just single films? I think Top Gun Maverick makes the case to answer those kind of questions by using the, you know, the parallel of the military and the fighter jets and the aging pilot, that kind of a thing. With Dead Reckoning, it's kind of like, okay, well, you said that, so now prove it. Prove that you still need these films. Prove that there's a reason to come to theaters. And I think Dead Reckoning does 100% that job. Um, only thing I can say about it, unlike Fallout, is it again, it feels longer. So Fallout feels like it did everything that is going on in Dead Reckoning, but shorter. Dead Reckoning, I guess, when you're watching it, it's more of a celebration of that action. It's saying, well, why do it shorter? Let's do it longer. Let's break records. Let's make these scenes go beyond. And not in some ridiculous way. 
And, you know, just kind of how well choreographed can you do a car scene? How many stakes can be involved in a train scene? Um, what else could be going on here? And, um, and with the bad guy, you know, being in a realistic setting, the bad guy I thought was definitely the scariest, most interesting type of bad guy that they can come up with for them to have to deal with. So I really like Dead Reckoning a lot. I definitely recommend you guys going to see it. And um, I'm definitely going to watch it again before the next one comes out. Maybe do another Mission Impossible rewatch and go through all seven of them before I go see eight. Uh, this is not a franchise that I was aware of over the last few years. I think, you know, because of Tom Cruise and things that happened in the media and stuff, it became a thing where, like, going to see a movie with Tom Cruise with your friends could be difficult because not everyone wants to go see a movie with Tom Cruise. Um, and that's because of, you know, different stuff, you know, in the media and things he's said and done or whatever, people's opinions on, on him as a person. Um, we've seen that happen to all movie stars dealing with the social media age and people having their different opinions about stuff. Um, but watching Dead Reckoning after seeing Definitely Top Gun Maverick, I think it really solidifies that regardless of how you may feel about Tom Cruise, whether you're a fan or you're not a fan, um, I can't think of a single person that has done more for Hollywood at this point, uh, especially in spite of all the things that, you know, that happen. There's actors that walk away from acting. There's actors that don't want to do it anymore. They get tired of it. And to see him showing up almost yearly now and delivering these giant, giant films, even across different stories. Um, you know, Vin Diesel's obviously out there with Fast and the Furious, The Rock and stuff like that. Those guys are still doing it. But I think it's a little bit different. I think Tom is definitely in a, a little bit of a space of his own, um, just kind of a little bit ahead of those guys because of his long movie career, all the films and all the contributions that he's done across so many different genres. And then, you know, watching something like Dead Reckoning, I feel like it's almost one person trying to take on the Marvel Universe when it comes to big blockbuster films. Um, something that hopefully James Gunn in DC will be able to, you know, get into that conversation, you know, moving forward when they put their new films in, I think, in a year or two. But it stands right now in 2023. Um, yeah, if you look at the top of the mountain, the top of the mountain is Tom Cruise in the Mission Impossible franchise. And um, I don't think there's, there's any way you can deny that. I feel like Top Gun Maverick was his year. And 2023, I think Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is his year. Uh, people might not go to the box office to see it because it's two parts or something like that. Or again, you might think, oh, I don't need to go see that. But I think that film is going to stand the test of time. Is showing that it's one of the strongest entries in the, the franchise. So definitely hope you guys go check it out. I had a great time catching up on the Mission Impossible franchise. That's everything for this episode of the podcast. If you want, stick around for the after show. I'm Sammy Rye. Peace. Movie of the week. So with so many movies we're talking about in this podcast, since we're talking about the Mission Impossible franchise, I thought maybe for movie of the week, I pick something that's not Mission Impossible. But then I thought we have seven movies here. It's kind of disrespectful to not pick one or say which one I guess is like the best one. If you only had one Mission Impossible movie to watch, and you're not sure if you want to commit to watching all seven of them in order, which is the way I recommend doing it. Um, I have to go with... Mission Impossible Fallout. Mission Impossible Fallout, I believe, is Mission Impossible 6. Um, let, me, let me refer to my master list here because you, you need it to, to stay you know, on track with this. I think Mission Impossible 6, um, which a lot of people have already said this, is probably the pinnacle of the franchise. I think the newest one, Dead Reckoning, when combined with Part 8, that is going to be amazing. But that's a very long you know, film to watch both of them together. That's a big thing. So I don't know how to start somebody there. 
uh, especially when Fallout is is very is very very well done. It has a lot of intensity and it gets you to that place in a you know reasonable amount of time. You kind of can see everything this like the, this franchise has to offer, like the pinnacle of what you're going to get from a, this kind of a movie. Um, and if you like it. I think if you go back and watch Mission Impossible 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, then it's going to make 6 even better. Then it's going to make 7 even better. Um, they really do build on each other, um, especially after 3. I've heard some people say that you can just come in at 4 and go at Ghost Protocol. And while I like Ghost Protocol, I think there's some Easter eggs and some things that really matter that they hint to happen in 3. So I guess in some of those situations, you could say 1 and 2 don't matter as much to like the current franchise. Um, 3 maybe matters the most. But even that, I kind of disagree where, you know, one, you see the youngest version of Ethan Hunt. Um, two, you kind of see some of the other, you know, international things, other spies moving around the world, other kind of things that any, you know, action star would get into. Three settles down into, I think, what the current franchise is really about. Um, so three is kind of like another way that you can start it if you want to save time. But Mission Impossible 1 is, is a classic. And I love Mission Impossible 2. I think it is, it's so cool. It has a really 90s cool feel to it. So, yeah, there's so many great movies there, but Mission Impossible um, 6, Mission Impossible Fallout, that's the one I recommend for Movie of the Week. Yeah, welcome to the after show. Go ahead, relax, take a little stretch. Thank you guys for hanging out through that whole podcast. This is the part of the podcast where I talk about me, personal things going on in my life, if you're interested. Um, This week has been an interesting week because I'm coming up on my 38th birthday, which will be in three days as of this recording, right? On the 29th, I'll be turning 38, um, which doesn't really make that much difference for me turning 37 or 36 to 35 or anything like that. Um, but what's cool about this week was my friends wanted to go see Mission Impossible 6, and I realized I had not seen all the Mission Impossible films after part three. I had seen one, two, and three, and that was a long time ago. Um, but I, I got to take a week to just focus on watching films, and it's a big contrast from the previous four or five weeks. When I was working on my, my Fortnite map for Battle Royal, I was heavily promoting myself on, on Instagram and Twitter and all the social media sites. Um, it was such a giant switch to just be like, hey, this week I'm going to try to watch movies. And it was great. It was, it was relaxing to, to do that. And I also came across another interesting podcast. Um, I don't have the name of the podcast, I think, in front of me. I'll try to grab it real fast. But listening to the podcast, the podcaster was talking about um, being a workaholic, being the kind of person that like, you know, really values working and trying to do things and dislikes laziness. I, I could sometimes be lazy, but it's the number one thing I hate. I hate I hate laziness, right? So it's something I'm always fighting against whenever I get in those modes where I want to relax. So even watching those movies, even though I was watching it for this purpose to go hang out with my friends for my birthday, I still felt like I should be doing something else. And I put out a few tweets and did a, little, a few things here or there. But for the most part, I try to stay out of making anything and just dedicate my time to, you know, watching those movies. And I got to play, um, for one night, I played Metal Gear Solid a little bit to kind of see what that game was like. And um, that was pretty interesting. But yeah, dealing with all that stuff, the the podcast I heard is called The Creative Pen, P-E-N-N, Podcast for Writers. Um, I think it's by Jonah Penn. And it's a very good podcast. It's a single-person podcast like my podcast. 
um, which also sometimes does interviews like my podcast. And I came across as, as a recommended recommended a podcast, and I wanted to listen to it. And I, I like I liked it a lot because it's interesting. Um, I, I enjoy writing. Um, she's basically just completely an author who's into that kind of stuff, um, but talks about the different things she's doing as she tries to publish her books and stuff like that in real time, which I think is really cool. So I like that podcast listening to it. But she talked about you know people overworking themselves and trying so hard to work and to do these things. And um, I had some medical things I was doing this week, going to the doctor's office. No, no big deal. Um, just, you know, this always a, you know, a back to reality kind of thing where you check yourself in and you go to a doctor's office and you think you might have to have a surgery or do something. Um, there's always things you're like, man, you know, you kind of pause, it makes you take pause. But the kind of person I am typically, you know, once I'm done, I'm out back outside and I want to go work on a project, do something and work on a screenplay right now. Actually, I did do that over the weekend. So I lied as I was watching the films. I also, um, drafted and outlined a screenplay for a short film that so far looks like I'm going to actually get to film, um, hopefully soon, but that's something I'm currently working on. So even that I forgot, I'm working on a screenplay. I put a bunch of hours into this project. I already forgot that I did it in my mind. It's always like, it's not enough. I don't think about it, you know, and here it is Wednesday and I'm recording the podcast. So it's all these things I'm kind of constantly trying to do and you kind of can get a bit overworked and that's what she was talking about on her, on her show. So definitely recommend checking out that podcast. But I think that um, it's hard. It's hard to know how much is too much, how much is, you know, a balance between working and enjoying yourself. And you can definitely fall into, you know, ruts going either way. Um, I liked working on the Battle Royal map for that month. But, you know, that's you can't do that all the time. You got to take time for other things. And it was also summertime, too. So I have maybe about, you know, six weeks left of summer, it feels like. So I like to get out and do more things with my daughter, go play some basketball and stuff, which we haven't done this summer. Um, but then, you know, you only have so many hours in a day, right? You got to feel how you balance those things. So those are pretty much things I had going on this week. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I'll see you, Rye. Peace.